And a happy Friday, everybody. We've reached lucky seven. Every time I think of that number seven, I think of two things. A movie and a TV show. The great George Costanza wanted to name his kid Seven. Uh, Just an unbelievable episode. And, of course, the movie Seven with Brad Pitt. I think you're going to like episode seven. It's been a fun week, fun two weeks for Patriots and Rams fans as we get close to the Super Bowl. I'm a huge Patriots fan. I think a lot of people know that. Should be a lot of fun on Sunday, and we'll talk about it next Friday here on Behind the Mic. Again, Behind the Mic, that's the name of the podcast. Follow me on Twitter, at Behind the underscore Mike. That is the same for Instagram and Behind the Mike 73 on Facebook. You can send me uh, a tweet on my Sea Dogs Twitter. That's Sea Dogs Radio. Emails accepted, of course, at SeaDogsRadio at gmail.com. Hope we're inspiring some. We welcome people of all ages, male, female, aliens listening to this podcast. We thank you so much for the support. The seventh week and a good lucky seven. I've been very fortunate, and I don't consider this number unlucky. There was fifteen player, 50 players on the 2004 Boston Red Sox that appeared at least one game. This will be the 13th player of that 50-player crop from the historical 2004 Red Sox that had a chance to interview. A few weeks back at the Sea Dogs Hot Stove Dinner, I sat down with Keith Folk on stage, and uh, we recorded that video, but there's so many ways to stealing that audio. And for those that could not attend, those that have not watched the video yet, Keith Folk of the Boston Red Sox. You like the legend? Huh? You like that? Uh, it, make, it, it makes me blush a little bit. Yeah, just a little. You know, it's, uh, it's definitely something that I embrace now. A lot more now so than I did back in the day. Yeah. Welcome back to Portland up here. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Um, like most of you know, I've talked to a lot of you guys today, but I mean, I love Portland. It's kind of my second home. and I spent a lot of time up in, in Portland and Maine during the summer, so I thank you guys for being you and accepting people like me. Yeah. <laughs> Like the tie, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Maine reminds me a lot of Texas. You know, beautiful country and good people, so, I mean, why not? How's the off-season going? I know you're, you're living in Boston, so you're close here to, to Maine, but you're close to Fenway, and I know you're chomping at the bit to get back at it. Am I? Coaching, you know? Really? No, no, no. <laughs> yes, like the, I am living in Boston. Yeah. Uh, no, but, um, you know, the, the winter in the city is, you know, like some of us talked about, the winter in the city is, is different, but I enjoy the cold weather. The city wears on me a little bit, gets on my nerves, but, you know, I am excited about uh, head off to winter weekend this weekend, fantasy camp, and then spring training soon to follow, so it's time to go. Yeah. We will see you there. We're going to bring Slugger to uh, winter weekend. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's going to be the that ma- guy at? He kept photobombing all our photos earlier, so yeah. I got a bone to pick, but... So, uh, again, uh, I know we want to – we've had so many members of the 2004 team up here for this dinner. So, again, I know so many want to thank you for that World Series because it means a lot. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm, I'm definitely I'm honored to be here. Uh, as I was pointed out earlier, it's not a fireplace. It's a hot stove. But uh, I am honored to be here. I was very proud to be part of that team. Uh, I'm very proud to be part of the Red Sox organization now. But um, one thing is you, you adopt is, is you become a, a player to a former player in a place like this where we were very fortunate enough to, uh, to accomplish something that we did is you, you adopt uh, the responsibilities. You know, being able to come up here and meet you guys and get back and, and help raise money for the, you know, for the, the cancer hospital and all that stuff, it's, it's responsibility for us that I'm, ex- I'm, I'm, I'm proud to accept 
And, you know, it's, it's great to get back where I can. I think the Red Sox have done a great job as so many former players have been role models to the organization. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Um, I played for, I guess, four organizations. No other organization takes care of the former players like the Red Sox. You know, it starts with, uh, you know, ladies that take care of the former players and, you know, the people in player development. And then through the farm system with the Burks and, and how the, the, the organization treats its players, treats them like men, gives them everything they need to succeed. And, you know, I think that's why it started to change over the last, you know, 15, 18 years since John Henry took over. Yeah, I think they've been outstanding, the things they've done to the ballpark, too. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a first-class organization, and anything you need, they will go to basically any limit to get it for you. Okay, I think I know what we need. Uh, you, you have the ball, right, from the last out? That's what I heard? Is that true? No? I just made that up. I, I was hoping. Or did you? Yeah. 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 Just like I tell everybody, wait till the book comes out. Yes. You'll, you'll hear the real story about that ball. So you have to tell that. People must ask you all the time. That being involved in that last play, I mean, that, that's cool that you were the guy, you, Mankiewicz, part of that last play and ended that curse. I mean, like I said, um, at the time, it was, it was a great deal to me, but as I get older and as I get away from uh, being a player, it means so much to me. I mean, um, didn't realize it at the time, but the impact that it had on, on the Red Sox and New England and the world, really, yeah. like I said, it's, it's an honor being chosen to be that person, you know, and I accept it and I, I enjoy it every day. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now with the Red Sox. I mean, so many people in here see you all the time in the bullpen, but your official role and what you do throughout the minor league season. Yeah, so after a, a long hiatus, sitting on the couch getting fat every day, uh, the Red Sox invited me back to be part of the player development side, and so now I work with the, uh, the bullpen guys in the upper levels of the organization. And, um, you know, again, I take great pride in being able to help prepare these young men to the, the challenge that they're going to have once they get to Boston. Uh, Boston's not an easy place to play, but if you go out there, you accept the community, you play hard, you do your job, you deal with the good, but then you also have to deal with the bad. So it's one of those things where, you know, we talk about anything from baseball to marriages to kids to dating life to, you know, after the game. You know, we talk about all kinds of things, but I do my best to try and help these guys be prepared when they get to Boston to win and be good men. How did you get the interest in coaching again? Um, I think from being a father. You know, I have three boys of my own, and if you would ask me 15 years ago, hey, you're going to be a coach in, you know, 2017. I'm like, I'd have laughed at you. There's no chance in the world I ever wanted to be a coach until my children started to get older and I started to not regret the game of baseball so much that I'm like, you know what, I have an idea. The bullpen people, the bullpen players, pitchers, are the only guys who didn't really have a coordinator. So I started shooting out this idea to anybody that listened. I mean anybody. You know, and finally, uh, when Dave came over to the Red Sox, he kind of had the same idea. So, you know, they called me in. We worked it out. And, you know, here we are today. That's great. Because Mike McCarthy, former Sea Dogs pitcher, he's the bullpen coach in AAA. So. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's one of those things. Yeah, I've seen Mike around. And I just heard that um, uh, Eric Gagne is doing that with Texas. So, yeah. you know, again, the Red Sox are probably leading – you know, the trail and, you know, making sure that every one of their players has a mentor or somebody to help lead them. Because being in the big leagues in the bullpen is not easy, especially if you're a young man coming from uh, 
Like playing here in Portland is beautiful, but when you get to Boston, I mean, it's it's, it's a whole other animal. You're playing in Boston or you're playing in New York in front of 40, 50,000 people. You know, if, you know, New York, if they decide to start getting on you, it can be intimidating, you know? So we challenge our players as young men so when they get to that level and it comes September, October, they're ready to prepare. They're prepared and they're ready to play. Yeah, you say different animal. There are a lot of animals in the bleachers out in Fenway. So. Yeah, yeah. I remember sitting it's out nothing there, like yeah. playing in old Philadelphia or anything like that, but, yeah. you know, that place scared me to death. <laughs> what, what do pitchers you think have to do the most when they get to this level from high A? Uh, they have to adapt, you know, and um, – is being a, a minor league baseball player is a great accomplishment. You know, not many players get to, to play in the minor league baseball and, you know, and from college and all that. But once you get to the professional baseball, the people you're playing against, they were also the best team on their – or the best player on their little league team. They were also the best team on their high school team, the college. And all of a sudden, the funnel, it's like a triangle. It's hard to do this, but as you get towards the top – they get smaller and smaller. The competition gets greater and greater. So you have to be able to prepare these guys for the challenge ahead. They can't be fooled thinking it's going to be easy because it's by far not easy. Yeah. And this level really can be the separator, as we've heard and seen a lot. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen over the last couple of years, I mean, um, several players over the last couple of years have gone from A-ball to the big leagues. Yeah. But, you know, even here with, uh, with Andrew and um, uh, Devers, we've taken guys straight from AA from Portland straight to the big leagues to make impact. I know there's, uh, there's some really neat analytics now in the game and that the one thing in the pitching end is spin rate. So could you kind of tell us what that is? Or are you not the, uh, not the analytics guy? <laughs> we, have, we have a big analytical meeting on Thursday that yeah. I'm not really qualified for. But, uh, you know, it's the, it's the new generation. It's, it's how organizations are having to adapt. You know, you're using technology to further your advancement in the game. And, and in these days, it's, it's almost like racing. If you can get one little edge on your competitor, it's going to give you an edge. And over a course of a season, two seasons, five seasons, you know, if you can get that edge, it's going to help you win. I, I want to go back on something. You, you said that you like the cold. You might be the only one in here, right? Uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one in here, but so. you know, in my in my fluffier state, you know, <laughs> I, I grew up in I grew up in Southeast Texas, so I grew up in the heat and humidity of Texas. You know, I lived in Arizona for 20 years, and after I retired, you know, I played all summer, obviously, and after I retired, spending a couple summers in Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know if anybody's ever been out there. It's a dry heat. It's it's hot. I don't care who you are. It's hot. You know, and as I get older, it's like I've sweated my entire life. It's nice to be able to go do something and not sweat. I enjoy putting on a jacket. I now own two vests. So, you know. You're like, I, the, you're like the happiest guy at L.L. Bean. They just, they're yeah. just theming. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been to, I go to L.L. Bean, you know, at night just to hang out since they're open 24 hours. You don't have nothing to do. I go up and buy me another flannel. Yeah. <laughs> when did you get some offers to be able to, to, to be a professional, did you get, do you remember the first few scouts that talked to you? Uh, for being a uh, baseball player? Baseball player, yeah. Not really. Um, you know, I went to a very small school. I went to uh, Galveston Junior College to play baseball, which was the first year of that program. They started a baseball program. And then my third year, I went to Lewis Clark up in Idaho, which is also, uh, it's a small school, but it's kind of a baseball factory. But growing up, I wanted to be a football player. You know, I wanted to be a linebacker or a safety. I just want to go out and bust somebody up. 
you know, and um, grades didn't work with that, so we played baseball. But um, I, I didn't really concern myself with the scouts. Um, I don't, maybe I was naive. Maybe I was stupid, whatever it was. But I just went out to play the game truly because I loved to pitch. Well, back in the day, I loved to hit and pitch, but came to came to a point where I had to pick one. And I'm like, you know what, I think I have a shot at pitching, but I never looked too far ahead, so I never worried about scouts or the radar gun or anything. I just worried about going out there and competing, and that's what I love to do. Where did the change-up that all start? The change-up, um, so I was drafted by the San Francisco Giants in the 94 draft. Um, so at the time I threw, I was throwing 86, 87, had a, well, a bad split finger, and that was back with uh, Roger Craig, right as they were transferring from Roger Craig to the new era, where they had a lot of elbow injuries and all that stuff. They're like, okay, uh, no more split finger, no more forkball. And I'm like, okay. I'm throwing 86 in professional baseball, and I have no off-speed pitch. I called Dad, and I was like, Dad, it's not looking good. Make sure Mom washes the sheets. I'll probably be home soon, okay? But, um, but what it was, uh, Keith Comstock was my, my uh, first professional coach in uh, Everett, Washington. Uh, he just happened to be a crafty left-hander, and he showed me how he threw basically his screwball. And so that was in the summer of 94, so I started working on it there. And every chance I got, I was throwing change up from the outfield while I'm shagging. We're doing all this. And um, I ended up having, so 97, I got to the big leagues, 98. I uh, had shoulder surgery, removed a little bone spur, came back in 99, strong as a bull, and all of a sudden the, uh, my legs were there, my shoulder was there, and I came out, had great hand speed, and the changeup just kind of appeared on the table and, you know, never really looked back. That's a great story that you kind of learned it from a left-handed perspective. Yeah, because I, I mean, I had to do it. It was one of those things where I was always behind the eight ball and I always had to work to get up, and I think that was one of the um, attributes that, you know, helped me get and, you know, and pitch at a high level in this game. Yeah, I remember this in 1997 that they call it the, the white flag trade that you were involved because the White Sox were, they were close, and then they ended up making that big trade. So what was that like going through getting traded early? It was, it was interesting. I remember being, like I said, I was up in the Northwest and getting a call that I was going to be traded. And at the time, I thought I was being punished. I was like, these guys don't want me anymore. You're like the stepkid that's being pushed aside. But he's like, no, this is a good thing. You know, It's going to get you a, a, a clear window to the big leagues. Because uh, I'd been up and down with the big leagues, and I was overwhelmed at the time. Uh, the personnel more than, than the, the pace of play. But I had some guys on that Giants team that didn't make being a rookie fun. So we won't talk about them at this meeting. But, um, but I mean, back in the day, I was a starter. So I got to the White Sox, and they're like, okay, we have all our young starters are coming up, so we're going to put you in the bullpen. So I went to the bullpen. Um, next year went by. When I came back in 99, when I was strong finally, I was like, hey, I want to go back to start. And they're like, no, 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 no. You screwed up, son. You pitched well out of the bullpen. You're never going back to starting. <laughs> So that's why I never, I never left the bullpen. But it worked out. I mean, that's a great Yeah, story. I mean, I obviously mean, it's, uh, you know, 11 years, 11-plus years later, you know, it's a pretty nice baseball yeah. card. So the, I, uh, the, power of the uh, yeah, power of the Internet, one of those players you were traded with, you ended up playing with in indie ball, right? Did you know that? Mike Caruso? Oh. You played with him in, in indie ball in 09. You, were, you guys were in that trade... Well, I remember Mike Crusoe. He, yeah. was, he came up and he was our shortstop with yeah. the White Sox. 
I don't remember playing with them after yeah, that. Yeah, well, it, it, it's in the baseball reference, so it's got to be, yeah, the Newark Bears. It was on the internet, so it yes. must be true, right? Yes. I'll show you a little bit later, yeah. Yep. We could do it right we'll now. We'll talk about this yeah. later. Yeah. We'll, get, we'll be in the bar after this. We'll oh, talk yeah, about that. yeah. And then you get traded to Oakland, and then you got a first-hand uh, view of the Red Sox in 03, which was, some say, maybe a better team than 04, and then it's just kind of weird how your career worked out, went from that great team to Oakland, and then we know what happened after that. Yeah, so I got traded in, um, yeah, in 02 to go to, to Oakland where San Francisco, or, uh, Chicago wanted, you know, they wanted a different kind of closer. They wanted somebody that threw hard. They wanted to be the, the typical closer, and obviously I wasn't their guy, so they shipped me off to Oakland and went out there and had really probably the best year of my career. Um, you know, and I definitely had a front row seat for the for the Red Sox that year. And I remember after we got knocked out, going home, talking to my agent, you know, watching the the Red Sox Yankees on TV. And my agent told me, he goes, "Hey, don't be afraid if the Red Sox are one of the big contenders for you next year." So I paid attention the rest of that season, you know, that series with the Yankees. And sure enough, you know, we started talking as soon as that thing was over. What was it like pitching to those guys in Boston? Two, you know, the guys in '03 when you had to pitch to them, Manny Ortiz and. Damien, you must have been relieved when you didn't have to face them anymore. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like it's one of those things is I developed as a professional is I didn't really pay attention to the guy in the box. Uh, I had my distinct style of pitching, and it didn't really matter who was in the box. I didn't very, uh, very far from my routine. You know, I had I was going to throw you up and in and down away, and I was going to try and elevate to put you away or throw a change up down and. You know, so I didn't. I don't pay attention to who's in the box very much. It's trust in your stuff. That's right? exactly what I did. Yeah. You know, sometimes when you get caught up, and of course that was really before David Ortiz was was big poppy. But uh, obviously, you know, facing Manny and um, God, who else was on that team? Um, Edgar or uh, um, shortstop. Red Sox. <laughs> yeah, Cabrera. C- no more. No more. Yeah. Oh, a good thing. Yeah. But obviously, you know, they have some high quality hitters. But you know, you start thinking about who's in the box, and sometimes you st- you, you stop thinking about what you need to do to get them yeah. out. They're still human. They're still going to make mistakes. Yeah. All right. You must have some great stories from the '04 team. We know that you probably can't tell us all of them, but you must have some some good stories. Um, I mean, of course, we got a yeah. fair share. Yeah. You know, but. Um, that was that was a team that you know obviously we hung out a lot together, but you know we never really seemed to develop a whole lot of stories. We kind of just played it straight and level. But you know the obviously the best memories I have are when the playoffs and unfortunately when we were down. Um, you know Kevin Millar when you know you ever heard about how we were taking shots and stuff before the game and they're like no way that's true and I was like yeah it was, but you know it was one of those things where it was camaraderie. It was it was everybody going. Yeah, we were in a hole, obviously, but it was guys joining together in one little symbolic moment to say, hey, I'm with you. Let's do this, you know? You know, and like I said, you know, if we were in fights, we were in a fight together. But, you know, uh, being down in that deficit, we were, we were definitely a team, and, you know, we fought together, and we won as a team. It seems to sometimes get lost in that World Series. I mean, you guys had one of the most, I mean, historic comebacks ever against the Yankees, and you did it there. I mean, that's the the better part of that whole World Series. Oh, I mean, obviously, you know, you never want to start off any movie like that. But, you know, no movie goes without drama. And fortunately, we wrote our own drama. And but fortunately, you know, we were enough of uh, we were dedicated and and talented enough to overcome it. I mean, it's hard to believe every time I see that Dave Robert Steele, 
you know, we're only four or five inches. Now, I get nervous. Oh, he's safe. Thank you. You know, it's like I still get nervous watching that play, you know, and it, uh, you know, it's obviously we, we did it and, you know, we had a lot of breaks go our way and, and we played hard and, and obviously the baseball gods looked upon us fondly and, you know, we were able to pull it off. And it was nice that in that series you had the right combination of starters with Pedro and Schilling, you know, later in that series to have them pitch when you're down. That, that was huge. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, you know, it's never without drama. Um, you know, obviously having Pedro and Schilling, uh, great pitchers, you know, no matter what the details are. But, you know, you get uh, Pedro got beat up early in the year with, yeah. you know, who, who's your daddy and all that nonsense. And, and then Schilling getting the, the surgery done right before the game. It's like, you know, it's drama. You know, we're making a great movie here. But, um, you know, the heart, you know, you get guys like Derek Lowe come out there and, you know, he won every game of the, you know, the, the series, uh, the, the clinching games. But, you know, it was, it was truly, it was, you know, every guy on that roster, the coaching staff, the trainers, everybody, everybody had the same goal. And we never really, even though we were down three games, we never wavered. Everybody was still going in the same direction. Yeah. What was it like playing for Terry Francona? Uh, I love Tito. Tito was... Um, you know, was the type of manager that being on that Red Sox team, we had a very veteran group. I think I was 30, 31 when I got to that team. I was one of the youngest players on that team. So we had a very veteran group. We had guys that won World Series. Uh, so he let you be your own guy. But if needed, he had no problem jerking you back in, kind of reeling you back in. You know, so he gave you just enough slack for you to enjoy yourself, but never to get in trouble. You able to see him still when they come around Cleveland? You've been you've been there to see him now. No, no. <laughs> I don't. I hang out with my minor league guys. I don't. Uh, you know, when I go to Boston, I go and I watch in the stands, and yeah. you know, I, I kind of I don't mess with the big league guys. You you're a fan now of all the Boston sports, right? Uh, most of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely obviously a Red Sox fan, but I'm a big Patriot Bruin Bruin guy. So, you know, I um, I live right there in North Station, so I'm a big Bruin guy. So, always around the Garden. Tell us about just uh, watching Manny Ramirez hit those guys, Manny and Big Poppy. Yeah, um, I was very fortunate enough as, as a player to be around some of the greatest hitters in baseball. Uh, you know, started, uh, even though I don't like the guy, uh, Barry Bonds. You know, so I was with Barry Bonds and I went to, to Chicago. So I was around Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura, uh, Albert Bell. You know, and, and really with those times with Chicago is where I started talking to those hitters. And I started to ask them, what don't you like? You know, as a pitcher, how would you get you out? And so I started to take in that input, right? So when, by the time I got to Boston, you know, and, and watching David hit, watching Manny hit, watching those guys go through their approach during batting practice, it's one of those things that helped me work on my style of pitching. But watching those guys with the bat really is phenomenal. What they do on a daily basis is that's why they get paid so much money. That's why they're some of the best athletes in the world is because hitting that ball with the bat, you know, is, is still the hardest thing to do in any sport. And I'm sure you saw this a lot, the work that you have to put in to be so oh, great. at Hours yeah. and hours yeah. every day, yeah. you know, every day. You know, as I'm sitting getting massaged, you know, those guys are constantly <laughs> going to the tunnel, hitting off the tee. You know, the, the hitting coaches and the staff, the hours that they put in with the players is probably even more impressive. You know, because the, the staff goes for, you know, the players don't get there till 2, 132, whatever. The staff has been there through 
from 10 looking at all the analytical data, the video of the pitchers coming up, you know, the staff puts in tremendous hours to help, you know, our teams win. Yeah, that's a great point. The routine that every level, that how early guys get to the field. I don't think the average fan realizes that. Yeah, I mean, guys put in way more effort now, or, well, they put in way more work. There's so much more uh, information out there for them that these guys live at the ballpark nonstop. You know, they're constantly looking at computers, iPads, data. You know, they have all kinds of uh, interactive computer programs to help them work on, you know, just tracking the ball and stuff. And, you know, as pitchers, you know, we have all the information we could ever need on how to get a guy out. How special is Fenway Park? It's it's uh, it's the most special place I've I've ever been in baseball. Uh, my first trip was 1997. You know, I remember coming in. I grew up watching it on you know the Saturday game of the week. You know, every once in a while you'd see Fenway Park, and I'm like, wow. You know, I grew up watching games in the Astrodome, so I only knew indoor baseball. You know, I only knew AstroTurf, and all of a sudden you see this goofy looking field with the big wall and all this stuff. And uh, but over the years, the the fans and the ballpark and the atmosphere and the city and and the region, you know, I've, I've fallen in love. I mean, I'm I'm all in. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, lastly, what was your favorite visiting city to go to? Uh, well, as a visiting player, Boston was always uh, was always one of my favorite cities. You know, uh, being able to come in and obviously times have changed a little bit now, but there's a lot of colleges in Boston. You go to Daisy Buchanan's. You know, there's there's a lot of nightlife. You know, it's uh, but but beside that, it was going to the ballpark every day where there's you know, it wasn't always a sellout. You know, there's always a playoff atmosphere, you know, and, and I thrived on going sitting in the bullpen and having some guy yell over the fence, hey, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> Love you, buddy. You know, and, and we would get, we'd get into all kinds of banter, and, you know, more times than not, we ended up hanging out after the game, you know, because they knew that they could dish out anything they wanted to say to me. I don't care what you think of my mother. You know, I'm fine. You know, I'm here, you paid your money, I'm here, we're, you see how this works? You know, but, um, you know, I enjoyed interacting with the fans and stuff, and, you know, I embrace that. I'm sure they had some very colorful ways of saying your name, that, yeah. and that accent, right? Yeah, I still have a sweatshirt from a kid I conned off him one day in a cold, cold day in Fenway, where I traded him for a ball and I got him kicked out. Yeah. Like, I got the ball and the sweatshirt. This will be a question for the, from the fans, I think, to you. Everyone always wants to know what that rivalry between the Red Sox and Yankees when you're on the field, what's that like? I mean, fans can embrace it a bit on TV. If you're at a game, it's crazy. But being on the field for that, especially the playoffs, has to be just crazy. Yeah, it really is, you know, especially going into Yankee Stadium where, when, you know, they old Yankee Stadium, you know, they'd fill that place up. I mean, it's 50,000 people, you know, and you'd be out there and they're, you know, they're doing their chants before the game, introducing all their players and, uh, you know, they're hollering at you constantly. And it's one of those things where if you embrace it, it gets you ready for that rivalry. You know, you enjoy it. I enjoy going to the park. Nothing made me happier than shutting them up doing my job, shaking hands on their field, and then taking it to the house. Well, I think that's a perfect way to end. That's, a, nice. that's a perfect, yeah. Well, thank you. I want to thank everybody for coming out and supporting the hospital and stuff. And thank you for having me. And, you know, let's do it again.
A big thanks to Keith Falk. That was a terrific interview, and he was a lot of fun. We had a good time there that night and appreciate him. So I said this at the Open. I've had uh, 50 members of the Boston Red Sox I counted in the 2004 club. I've interviewed 13. we got to make it 14 soon. Man, I'd love to get Manny Ramirez on this podcast. Again, you can reach me. I want your feedback. Facebook page is Behind the Mic 73. Twitter, Behind the underscore Mike on the Twitter. Also, Sea Dogs Radio for the tweets. Instagram, Behind the underscore Mike as well. Comments, feedback, suggestions. What you want to hear in the future, we can do it for you. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Go Pats. Episode 8, next Friday. Peace and love.